open your word. I pray that we would have eyes to see. I pray that we would humble ourselves before you. And I pray that your spirit would lead us into the truth that we might live godly and holy before you. We thank you for the gift of salvation through your son that rescues us as sinners. And we thank you for the righteousness that we have in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you got your Bible this morning, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. We've been looking at a series of messages called Don't Be Ashamed. Don't be ashamed. We're gonna continue with that this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I read you a story that originally came from the Fox Book of Martyrs, and I was looking at a book that basically took some of those stories. I want to read you about one that took place in 320 AD in Turkey. I'm going to read this to you. The Roman governor stood resolutely before the 40 Roman soldiers of the Thundering Legion. I command you to make an offering to the Roman gods. If you will not, you will be stripped of your military status. The 40 soldiers all believed firmly in the Lord Jesus. They knew they must not deny him or sacrifice to the Roman idols, no matter what the governor would do to them. Camditas spoke for the legion. Nothing is dearer or of greater honor to us than Christ our God. The governor then tried other tactics to get them to deny their faith. First, he offered them money and imperial honors. Then he threatened them with torments and torture, with the rack and with fire. Camditas replied, you offer us money that remains behind and glory that fades away. You seek to make us friends of the emperor, but alienate us from the true king. We desire one gift, the crown of righteousness. We are anxious for one glory, the glory of the heavenly kingdom. We love honors, those of heaven. You threaten fearful torments and call our godliness a crime, but you will not find us faint-hearted or attached to this life or easily stricken with terror. For the love of God, we are prepared to endure any kind of torture. The governor was enraged. Now he wanted them to die a slow and painful death. They were stripped naked and handed, herded to the middle of a frozen lake. He set soldiers to guard them to prevent any from coming to shore and escaping. The 40 encouraged each other as though they were going to battle. How many of our companions in arms fell on the battlefront showing themselves loyal to an earthly king? Is it possible, as possible for us to fail to sacrifice our lives and faithfulness to the true king? Let us not turn aside, O warriors. Let us not turn our backs in flight from the devil. They spent the night courageously bearing their pain and rejoicing in the hope of soon being with the Lord. To increase the torment of the Christians, baths of hot water were put around the lake. With these, the governor hoped to weaken the firm resolve of the freezing men. He told them, you may come ashore when you are ready to deny your faith. In the end, one of them did weaken, came off the ice and got into a warm bath. When one of the guards on the shore saw him desert, he himself took the place of the traitor, surprising everyone with the suddenness of his conversion. He threw off his clothes and ran to join the naked ones on the ice, crying out loudly, I am a Christian. Living unashamed, we look at stories of the martyrs and those are the most I guess, picturesque of what it looks like to live unashamed. But living unashamed in the time of Nero was no small task. And last week, as we continued in our reading of the passage, we saw, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And we looked at, so far, three different reminders to Timothy to encourage him to stay resolute, to not be ashamed. I really think that when you look at the book of 2 Timothy, one way to look at this, and this is the way I'm looking at it, is the word unashamed. Unashamed, the theme of the book. And we saw that, that Paul says, Timothy, remember your faith. Remember your gift. Remember the resources of God. And that's where I want to pick up with you again one more time as we get started today. Verse 7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, 
but of power, love, and self-control. When we think about this, I want us to focus as we get started today on the resources that God supplies his people, that we live because of Christ and have the capacity in his grace, by his strength, to not be fearful, but to walk in power, to walk in love, to walk with sound mind and self-control. And, and that's exactly what he's emphasizing here. And we talked last time about power, power that was not something they needed to receive. Now, I want you to think about that. We often think of power as that which we need to pray for in the midst of the Christian life. I, I was reading a quote by John MacArthur, and he said, Paul did not pray the believers in Ephesus might be given divine power but that they might be aware of the divine power they already possessed. I remember years ago hearing a lot of times Christians are like people that are trying to get into a room they think they're not already in, but they don't realize they're already in the room that they long to get into. When we think about this, I want us to be reminded of what Paul says about power and where it resides in Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches, that's not working, I'll read it to you, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Listen to this, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. And, and what's so amazing about the context of Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 is that the first place that this strength is made manifest is by love. The first aspect of this is that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And, and, and what's so amazing is that the Christian is promised that in Christ, they have divine resources for strength in the Christian life, if you think about fear, fear can be overwhelming. It's comforting to know that God's strength enables his people not to be overwhelmed and not to be enslaved to fear, but to walk in love, to walk in love. You remember we read last time, perfect love casts out fear, and it's that perfect love that casts out fear that is manifested in our hearts to others. You think about the divine resources that Christ gives us, that he's provided for us. In his spirit, Galatians says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And, and, then, and then he goes on, he says, he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power. And then he says of love and of sound mind. And, and you think about how much we need self-control when it comes to fearful thinking, when you're fearfully overwhelmed. I read to you that quote last time, fear or distraction can take control and the complexities of ministry or the intimidation of settings hostile to gospel service. And yet it's comforting to know, isn't it, that God gives us self-control. And if you keep reading in Galatians 5.23, he says, the fruit of the spirit is gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so think about why is he telling him this? He's saying, look, understand that, that Timothy, you know, remember your faith, remember your gift, but remember who God is and remember what he provides. You don't have to be, you don't have to succumb to fear. God's, well, God will give you power. He will give you love he will give you self-control by his grace. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, 
but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He's saying, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of either one, but join with me in suffering, sharing it with me, sharing it with Christ. It's sort of similar to when Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So when we think about sharing and suffering in a very real sense, Paul is saying, Timothy, share with me in suffering, but it's ultimately that Paul and Timothy share with Christ in his suffering because ultimately they're suffering because of Christ who lives in them, but share in suffering by the power of God. Now, this is exciting, and, and I missed it the first time I went through. At the end of verse 8, notice again, he's pointing Timothy to the resources that he has. He says, share in suffering, and depending on the translation you have, if you have the uh, ESV, it says, by the power of God. If you're carrying a New American Standard or a New King James Version, but share in suffering according to the power of God. You might be thinking, well, what's the big deal about those two words or that one word? Actually, a lot. It points back to the fact that as Christians, we are not just giving a list of commands, but we are united with Christ. We are in him and he is in us. And it's not just a call not to, to, not to, be, ashamed, to be ashamed. It, it's a call to suffer according to the power of God. This is language that is uh, similar to what Paul uses in Ephesians. Have you ever noticed if you're reading the book of Ephesians, he uses that phrase, according to, according to, according to, according to. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.19 says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? When we went through Ephesians, we talked about the difference between the phrase according to versus out of. It, it, imagine... Um, if you've got a, a really wealthy friend and they tell you, I want to take you out to lunch and I want to give you a gift. If they give you a gift out of their wealth, it could be anything. They could give you 20 bucks. If they give you a gift according to their wealth, it has to reflect the amount that they own. So if you have that wealthy friend and they say, let's go to lunch, I'm going to give you a gift according to my wealth, you ought to be excited because it's got to be proportional to what they own. Now, I want you to think about something here. How am I going to live in a chaotic culture? How am I going to live when, when literally the culture is changing in front of our eyes? How am I going to live being called a bigot? How am I going to live standing for a sexual ethic? How am I going to live saying that Christ is the only way? How am I going to live in a society that literally at some point might very well look at Christianity as worse than racism? How am I going to survive? Well, good news. You're called to suffer according to the power of God. And when you suffer according to the power of God, God supplies his people out of his power. Not out of his power, but according to his power. And you say, well, how can that be? It's the mystery and it's the marvelous theology of union with Christ. When I became a Christian, it wasn't I just checked a box that I'm in the Christian camp. I now mysteriously at my conversion, whether I recognize it or not on the surface, I have been united with Jesus Christ and he lives in me and I am in him. And now he walks with me in 
enabling me according to his resurrection power. That's the gospel. Timothy, sharing suffering according to the power of God. I, I love this. It's um, Timothy walk in it. I, I want you to think about something, though, because I think this is often something we neglect. How do we walk in it, though? You know, how, how do we appropriate this? I, I'll give you an example. Um, I remember years ago, there was a guy at Bryan College named Dan Beery. Beery played basketball with me, and he was a really big guy. Have you ever known people that that didn't, he was from Oaktown, Indiana. That just sounds like a big Hoosier, you know, strong. He was huge. I was really skinny and, and it was hard for me to put on uh, weight even when I'm working out at that age. Dan was just born big, strong. He was like a lumberjack, you know, huge. And we always looked at him like, where, where did you come from? He's massive. And Dan had some things go south for him at Bryan. He, this is a crazy story, he ended up at UTC going to school. One day he's walking down by the Tennessee River, down by the River Park, downtown Chattanooga, and as he's walking by, a guy looks at him and says, have you ever rode before? And Dan looks at him like, what kind of question is that? He says, no, I haven't. He goes, I got to ask you a question. He goes, would you be willing to meet me down here at this point, and I want to watch you row? Well, long story short, you can look it up online. Dan Beery, he won a gold medal in Greece in rowing. So his basketball career turned into something more promising. But while he was at Bryan, Dan Beery was one day outside the cafeteria, or maybe in the cafeteria, and, I, and the food was just not really appetizing. And I was like, I can't eat this. And I went up to Dan, and I was like, Dan, you got any money? And he says, no. I said, do you got a bank card? He said, yeah. And I said, can I use it? I guess. And I said, what's your pen? And he looked at me like I was crazy, but we were friends. And he gave me his bank card. I said, I'll bring it back, I promise. So we jump in a car, we're headed to eat lunch. And I'm in the back of a pickup truck. And we run into Dayton, Tennessee, downtown. And I jump out and go up to the region's teller. And I'm looking at this teller and I get up. And what happens when you have a number in your mind that you can't forget? And I can imagine what you're your ATM card number. That's why mine was 0000 for a while. But anyway, don't tell anybody that. And um, so you go to the machine, and while I'm trying to remember the number, all my friends are yelling numbers. And I'm like, stop, that isn't cool, stop it. And I can't remember. And after like four times, they're like, this has got to be theft. We're taking the card. So I lost this card. And now I've like, go back to him, Dan, I'm sorry. I, he's like, what? But anyway, I had been given resources from Dan. He gave me access to his resources. But how was I to appropriate them? I did not appropriate what he had given me. And I want to ask you a serious question this morning. How do you appropriate all that you have in Jesus Christ? By grace, we've been called to live this life by faith by faith in him. You see it throughout Paul's writings. It's by his grace. It's his grace leads us to faith. His grace drives us to faith. Through trial, he brings us to faith. But, but what we're called to do is dependently to trust in the promises of God. We're called to submit to Christ in our day-to-day -day life, walk by faith in him. It's as we walk by faith that we appropriate all that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Know that in Christ Jesus, he's not giving you fear. He's giving you power. He's giving you love. He's giving you self-control. But then he says, Timothy, remember his purpose. Remember his purpose. If you lose sight of your salvation, you will be very tempted to live ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. He says in verse nine, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of 
his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If you look at this at 30,000 feet, it's amazing because he really does. He covers like um, justification, which is we've been declared in right standing with God through Jesus by faith alone. And, and then he, he, he talks about, I mean, he's talking about election. He's talking about calling. He's talking about justification, sanctification. So you can make a case here. He's saying, Timothy, look at his justification. Look at his sanctification and look to the future for ultimate glorification. Because he, he says here, he saved us. That's number one. He called us to a holy calling that leads us to sanctification. And then he gets to the last part in verse 10 when he speaks about Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What is is happening here? I was reading uh, Stephen Cole and he said, our text is sandwiched between an exhortation to embrace suffering for the gospel without shame and an example of one who had done so. The motive that Paul uses to urge Timothy to embrace suffering is the glorious gospel of God's sovereign grace. And he goes on, because God has saved us by his sovereign grace, we should be willing to suffer for the gospel. Now keep going here. Listen to this. Getting a grasp of the glorious truth that God saved us according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, will give us the strength to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Reflect on your glorious salvation. Let's walk through this. The first thing he says is he saved us. He saved us and called us to a holy calling. The the word saved there. It is one of my favorite tenses in Greek because I really feel like it's something everybody can grab onto. It's a perfect tense. It means an action in the past with continuous results. He saved us. This is phenomenal. Um, We've been rescued and we walk in that salvation even now. It's something that's not just in the past, it's current because of what God did in the past. He saved us. I was uh, looking at it. There's a quote here by Charles Spurgeon. And and I could have just read this two paragraphs and we could have said amen and gone home. Uh, He says, the apostle uses the perfect tense and says, who hath saved us? Believers in Christ Jesus are saved. They are not looked upon as persons who are in a hopeful state and may ultimately be saved, but they are already saved. Salvation, he says, is not a blessing to be enjoyed upon the dying bed and to be sung of in a future state above, but a matter to be obtained, received, promised, and enjoyed now. The Christian is perfectly saved in God's purpose. God has ordained him unto salvation, and that purpose is complete. It's a lie, isn't it? He saved us. He saved us. Cole says some good reminders here. We were saved. When we think of that, uh, that language, he saved us. What did he save us from? We're saved because we were dead in our sins. In Ephesians 2, 1, John 11, it, he saved us because we were blind, John 9, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He saved us because we were lost, Luke 15. He saved us because we're the picture of the leprous, the leper, Luke 5, 12 to 14. He saved us because we're the, we're the picture of, of crippled, Luke 5, 18 to 25. We're the picture of deaf, Mark 7, 31. We are the picture of hardened, Ephesians 4, 18. He rescued us in our helpless state. Psalm 40, verse 2 says this, He 
drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry blog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Titus, we just looked at. Paul says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And now think about this. He's saying, look, Timothy, live unashamed. You always have to remember your salvation. You have to remember your calling. You have to remember the appearing of Christ and the manifestation of all that this came through in the cross. And, 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 and it would be similar to what Paul says in Ephesians when he says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And then in verse 8 of Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's as if he's saying, Timothy, don't be ashamed. You have been gloriously saved. But what if you lose sight of that salvation? If you lose sight of that salvation, aren't you more tempted to work up in your mind how you look, how you feel in being isolated, how you're going to be received by being bold for the gospel of Christ? And I, and I think what we see Paul doing to Timothy, he clearly is calling the church to apply as well. We can never lose sight of what God has done for us in Christ. If you want to live bold, you can take it to the bank. You have to do a deep dive in reflection and meditation on the miracle and the wonder of your salvation. If you lose sight of it, you're prone to be ashamed. But then he not only says he saved us, he says he called us. It's interesting because when you look at that word calling in the New Testament, it can mean different things at different times. And, and when, um, when, when Paul uses in Ephesians 1, he says, I pray that you would know what is the hope of his calling, the hope of his calling. And, and, and while that's part of this, here he's speaking about the fact that we're called to a holy life. We're called to holiness. He says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Uh, th this is marvelous, you know? It's one of these where it's like he, he set us apart. It's, it's like he's called you to a holy calling, Timothy. He's called you to live set apart. If you're tempted to be ashamed, you're tempted not to think of yourself as set apart. But you've been set apart. You've been called to be set apart. And it's a holy calling. And, and what he's going to remind him of in a second is that this calling is from eternity past. It's marvelous. Ephesians 1.4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And what's the calling here? That we should what? Be holy and blameless before him in love. Timothy, you've been called to holiness, similar to what Paul says to Ephesus in Ephesians 4.1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. What is this calling all about? Paul says in Thessalonians, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Timothy, you've been saved. You've been called by God for holiness. But, but notice something here. But, but how does this work? He says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. What happens when we see all of our bright and shiny students get awards for the STAR program? What do they do at the high school? They all get to look good, and they walk up, and they get awards. 
there wouldn't be any star program for works righteousness where everybody shows up and everybody says, you know, the principal of the church gets up and says, hey, I just want to tonight recognize all the achievements that we've made in bringing our salvation about. Let's recognize everybody in the church tonight. Why? Because it's not of works. It's of grace. You mean to tell me that God didn't look out before the corridor of time and think, you know what? I could really benefit by having them on my team. They bring a skill set and they bring a charisma that could really help the kingdom has nothing to do with us. Nothing. And what does he tell Timothy? He says, Timothy, be reminded. He saved us. He called us, not because of our works. But then he says something remarkable, but because of his own purpose and grace. I love this. Timothy, remember his purpose. Remember his purpose. Remember his purpose. You know, this purpose is worked out. You know, scripture interprets scripture. So what is he talking about? You got to look at other scriptures to get a feel for this. Ephesians 1.11, in him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to what? The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. I mean, the purposes of God. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We've talked about on Sunday nights that you could see theologically there's a general call that goes out into the world. But what, there's, a, there's a call that theologians call the effectual call. It's effective. It does what it's intended to do. And God has called us to himself. And he's saying, Timothy, he saved you. He's called you. It's his purpose. It's his grace. And then he says something that just makes your mouth open wide. He says, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Wow. Timothy, this is bigger than you. Timothy, this is of God's grace and purpose. Timothy, don't lose sight of his purposes. Don't lose sight of his eternal love for you. Don't lose sight that this is bigger than you could ever imagine. And, and when he speaks about this, it's, it's that which he gave in Christ before the ages began. I, I love this because you, you, in, in my translation here, it says, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The New American Standard says, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. I love watching my boys run and I love watching those meets and all the runners. And there's a lot of people out there, a lot of schools. And, and you don't know when they're coming. And you see somebody come by and you're thinking, okay, you know, who's next? Because the first runner is setting the pace. I want you to see what he's saying here. From is the idea that it is a marker of a point of time prior to another point of time. This is amazing. Now you go, okay, wait a minute. All the ages of time, but before, if you think of the ages of time as being a runner, before the ages of time, comes around the corner, you have this come before. Before the ages of time, God had eternally called you to himself. Now, I'll tell you something to chew on here. Paul's not writing this like, all right, now, Timothy, please sit down. Let's debate what you think about free will and predestination, and let's sit down and just figure out all the questions. No, it's never presented that way. It's presented like, look, I'm going to tell you a mystery, but I'm going to tell you straight here. This is not about you. This is about God's sovereign call before the ages began. 
And it ought not to bring us to the place of argument. It ought to bring us to the place of, wow. Timothy, don't be ashamed. If you could reflect and only understand the mystery of how God has brought you to himself. Live out of the purposes of his grace and live according to the calling that he has on your life. Young people, if you're gonna make it in a crazy, crazy world, you're gonna have to know who you are in Christ and you're gonna have to be rock solid in the eternal truths of the gospel. And if you're rock solid in the eternal truths of the gospel, you will realize that the God who called you and knew you before the ages began is the God whose grace will not only give you the ability to live unashamed in the present, but it's the God who will faithfully carry you home in the future because he goes on in the next part. And what does he say? He says that he did all of this for us. We, we keep reading and he says, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, all we can know is, is that when Christ came, he was manifested. When he went to the cross, he was manifested, dying for our sins. But if we look at the words here in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10, we see what comes before that. We see the purposes and the counsel of God in bringing all of this about. You know, I tell you, like, what, what if we lived out of this? What if we lived out of this? John Stott puts it in five categories. He says, the first is the eternal gift to us in Christ of his grace. Number two, the second is the historical appearing of Christ to abolish death by his death and resurrection. The third is the personal call of God to sinners through the preaching of the gospel. The fourth is the moral sanctification of believers by the Holy Spirit. And the fifth is the final heavenly perfection in which the holy calling is consummated. I was thinking about Timothy had to have in the back of his mind, I wonder if I'm gonna die for the gospel because his mentor is writing a letter from prison when he's about to be martyred for the gospel. And I think how comforting to know that God has you from eternity past all the way through eternity future, because he has accomplished it by abolishing death and bringing life and immortality to light through the gospel. I was, uh, years ago, I was in Alaska. It's one of my favorite memories with my dad. I was, I was uh, 16 to 18, somewhere in that range. I think it was 18. I remember my freshman year was rough. And I remember, I knew at the end of the semester, I was going with my mom and dad and my best friend to Alaska. And I was like, you know, in March, I was like, just get through, girl, going to Alaska. You can make it. And I got through with school and that June we went to Alaska. Well, I got to go twice. On one of those trips, we got to go up. A guy that was in the church where he was speaking said, I want to take you up in a plane and I want to show you the glaciers. I want to show you some other stuff. And it was absolutely extraordinary. I can't even describe it to you. We went up in a plane and we were flying over mountains where we were looking at these like cliffs and we were looking at doll sheep on the side of these mountains, on these ledges. And they had all those, uh, this beautiful creatures. And we were looking all through there. We would fly over grizzly bears. We were flying through glaciers. There was this rock formation. It looked like something you would see in Utah where people hike. And the plane was a smaller plane. And he flew up underneath this rock formation. I was like, we're in Star Wars. It's pretty cool. But I remember just sitting there and it, it took my breath away. And when I try to tell somebody what that was like, it just doesn't work. You ever taken a picture in a really pretty place and the picture just doesn't do it justice? My words can't do justice to what I saw. Paul is sort of pulling back the curtain here and he's saying, Timothy, are you tempted to live ashamed? Are you tempted to live out of fear? 
Timothy, you've got to reflect on the purposes of God. Timothy, this is way bigger than you. It comes way before your time. If you can understand your life in the redemptive story and plan of God and understand how you live and out of that identity, out of that purpose, Timothy, you'll live with purpose. You'll live unashamed. You'll live according to his resources. You'll live fanning into flame the gift that he's given you. You'll live to the glory of God. I could go on and on and on, but this morning, let us never lose sight of God's glorious work for us in Christ Jesus from even eternity past. Would you bow your head? We're going to be going into the time of the Lord's Supper this morning. And while you bow your head, I'm going to ask the men that are going to help pass this out to come forward and as you pray this morning have you lost sight of his resources have you lost sight of how he's called you to appropriate and walk in those resources have you lost sight of the glory of your salvation and the glory of his rescue when we take the Lord's Supper we reflect and remember in great joy what Christ has done for us. So it's fitting that in a passage like 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10, we were taking of communion this morning. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray. And then as I'm done praying, we're going to pass out the bread and then we will pass out the cup after we've taken of the bread. Father, I thank you for your glorious salvation. And I thank you that uh, this is bigger than we could ever imagine. I thank you that we could never take credit for it. I thank you that faith is a gift. I thank you that you're working out your purposes. You're working out of your grace for your glory. And I pray that we would never see our life outside of that realm but we would live in this world, in our context, through the lens of your glorious grace that you brought us in your son. I pray that you would give us the ability from the youngest in this room to the oldest to live that way. I pray that the youngest are, would begin to see that this salvation is much more than some decision they made. This salvation is rooted in the wisdom and the sovereign power of who you are. And I pray that it would bring them great joy. It'd bring us great joy and great comfort and great peace. And I pray today as we take of this Lord's Supper, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you've called us to take it. And I pray that as we take it, we would take it in a way that honors and worships you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all can pass it out. Thanks. the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest 
graven on his hand my name is written on his heart I know that while in heaven he stands my tongue can barely fence apart Can be fence Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him. on him Eleven. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I was looking at Luke 22, and, uh, and, where, and when the hour came, he reclined at a table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And it goes on, and he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we see this inauguration of this supper. And so we take of the bread, remembering, as Paul says here, this is my body, which is for you, quoting the Lord, do this in remembrance of me.
Cause the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied Look on him Look on him and pardon me. Spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace, one with himself. Can I die? My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid in Christ on high. Christ my Savior and my God. Christ my Savior. I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is his. Christ on high. Christ my Savior and my God. Christ my Savior and my God. I want to read you, this is exciting, and what it's, it's a cause of celebration, because we, we take of the supper, not in a morbid, uh, I was in Israel years ago at the place where uh, the church of the Holy Sepulcher, and we don't know for sure if that was the place, but uh, we walked into the area where they believe the area of the 
tomb and uh, there was all this, it was like you would have thought that it was, it was the most depressing place you've ever been. And this brother looked at me from another country and he looked at me and he said, he is not here, he is risen. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> they've lost sight of the resurrection. And that's what we see here. I mean, this is all beautiful because Paul says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. And how did he do that? And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He did it through his work on the cross, his death, burial, and his resurrection from the grave. And now it's because of that that we can Read Paul's words when he tells us the story of in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And I want to read you a quote that I got from uh, our beloved Stan Gibby, who is sick today. He sent me this. He said, uh, George Herbert says, death used to be an executioner but the gospel has made him just a gardener. So now, in light of the, the work of Christ, let's drink of the cup. We praise you, Father, for the perfect work of your son. And we praise you for all the benefits that we've received by grace through faith. And Lord, I pray that we would never cease to be amazed as we learn more and more and more about the riches of your grace. And I pray as we leave that you would take your word and that it would change us and that God, it would give us boldness and it would give us ability to live in this world with purpose and meaning out of your will. I thank you for the blessing of taking of this supper with your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'd be seated real fast, guys, one last thing that's gonna end a wonderful morning. I, it's always a joy when people uh, join the church and uh, I'm gonna ask Dean and Mary to come up. And um, Dean and Mary have been coming to Riverside now for over a year. And uh, they, in this process, have been praying about where God would have them. And, uh, and they are, I've, I've had a chance to get to know them and to hear their story and to hear their testimony. And uh, we are so grateful that God has brought y'all to Riverside and we're thankful for you. And uh, we're just really joyful that y'all are officially becoming a part of this church. And so today, if you're excited like I am, we stand with me and join them. And uh, we're thankful for y'all and uh, we're glad you're here. And uh, we're excited. And so, like, I'm not going to make them stand up here, and, uh, but I am going to ask you that you would find them before you leave and uh, give them a hug. And, but we're excited about what God's doing in y'all's life and how God's going to use you in this church, and we're thankful for you. So let's pray. God, I thank you for a wonderful morning. I thank you for the power of your word and the hope that we have. And I thank you, Lord, that... Uh, we can live hopeful, not wondering whether or not we will one day have peace, but we can live with assurance because of your promises, that we can live knowing that this salvation you've brought is an action in the past with present results, ongoing results, that it's not something we step in and out of on a weekly basis. It's not something that we continuously leave and come back in, but it's something that is accomplished through the perfect work of Jesus. And I pray that, that we would see the joy and the hope in that. And I pray that it would change us. And I, I thank you, Lord, for Dean and Mary. I thank you for bringing them into this church body. I thank you for what you've done in their life. And I pray that you continue to mold them and shape them according to your word. And I thank you for all the brothers and the sisters that are part of this local body. And we give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day.